This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Welcome to the first season of Fluster Clucks, when we launched at the beginning of the pandemic as a mom's retreat. We're no longer stuck in our houses, but most of us feel stuck in our anxious patterns. I'm Lynn Lyons, an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. And I'm Robin, your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law. Parenting is a Fluster Clucks. And we'll help you find your way. So today we have more listener questions, and I bet these questions are ones that most of us can relate to. We've got a mom who says that since the lockdown, she is noticing more and more conflict between her kids, and another mom who has two young kids, and she is just spent. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm a psychotherapist and author and anxiety expert, and I'm here with my producer and sister-in-law, Robin, to answer more of your listener questions. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn. How are you? Good. Good. I have the first question. I know this is happening for many because a lot of people have posted about this in the podcast Facebook group, which you should join if you're not a member yet. How to best deal with sibling fights. Being stuck at home for such an extended time All the extra emotions everyone is feeling. Siblings are fighting way more than usual. What can I do? Let's differentiate between the two kinds of sibling fights. One is that it's mostly verbal and yelling and calling each other names or arguing over who gets to sit where on the couch, etc. And the other is when they get physical and so somebody is in danger of getting hurt. Um, So let's talk about the first one in general. So you hear your kids bickering with each other. They're yelling at each other. They're squabbling over the remote or who's going to fill in the blank. Rule number one, of course, is that you need to remain calm. Don't come storming in, yelling or reacting. Be careful that you don't fall into this habit of moving in and taking sides right away. And one of the things, particularly if there's an age differentiation or if there's one kid that's physically bigger or, you know, sort of the dominant sibling, that you immediately step in and you go and you help the victim, right? So somebody's the victim and then the aggressor gets banished. So you're like, oh, are you okay? You need to go to your room because right away you're setting up a pattern that a victim gets attention by being a victim and the aggressor gets angry and doesn't have an opportunity to communicate or articulate what they were experiencing or what was going on. So you're supporting the victim role and you're banishing what you see as the aggressor role. It means that the victim child will learn how to play the victim and the aggressor will just continue to get angry, not only at their sibling, but also at you. So be really careful about that. So what do you want to do instead? When they are having an argument, first thing, if it's not getting physical and people aren't hurting each other, stay out of it. Let them work through it. This is one of the things that we know with socialization right now is that kids playing out in the neighborhood, kids having independent play worked through a lot of their conflicts. And the more that parents and adults step in and micromanage all these social interactions, the more that we're getting in the way of them developing the skills that they need to develop, right? So maybe it's how to take a break from each other. Maybe it's how to negotiate. Maybe it's figuring out, you know, what's off limits in terms of their their disputes. 
So stay out of it as much as you can. Also, when you have to step in, be careful that you're not labeling your kids. Again, there's the victim aggressor role, but there's also the, well, you're older, you should know better, or you're bigger than she is, or you, you know, when when you do that and you give them that role, they will step into the role that you give them. Even if it's a negative role, they'll take that on. So see it from their point of view. So while you're still holding them responsible for their behavior, and if somebody did something that crossed a line in your family, they hid or somebody threw a hairbrush or whatever, hold them responsible for their behavior. You don't need to dismiss the behavior. But by saying something that shows both children that you are hearing their point of view, you are modeling empathy and you are modeling listening. So you might say, okay, so you guys were just having an argument and I don't know all the details of what was going on, but, and so maybe you get a little bit, well, she said this and I was supposed to do this. Okay, so if I were in your position, I would feel really annoyed that she did that. And then you turn to the other child and you say, and if I were in your position, I think my feelings would be hurt that you did that. Right away, you're saying to them, we are listening to the other person's point of view and we are taking in all the information You want to stay out of that blaming role. And so you say things like, you know what, I I bet being the younger kid is really tough, right? Because you're the smaller one and you are, you you know, you, you aren't really given the opportunity to make decisions very often, are you? I can see why you got upset about that. And then you want to ask those how questions. How do you think you can handle this better? Because they want to blame and you want to blame. The more you stay out of blaming, the better off you and your kids are going to be as you negotiate and figure out how to get along, particularly when you're trapped in the house. Sibling conflict is well within the range of normal behavior, but when you get pulled in, when you start yelling and you start reacting, it's just going to add to it. The oldest sibling has not a responsibility, but they're simply going to get it before their younger siblings, Mm -hmm. which was... There's an incentive for you to learn to get along because you have an opportunity of having a lifelong friendship with your sibling as long as you maintain a level of friendliness and respect. And you can also alienate a sibling for life if you behave repeatedly disrespectfully, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you hurt them such that they don't want to be your friend. We always showed actually, since you're my sister-in-law, you know, we always talked about how my husband and your brother get along and how you, you all as siblings have a really nice adult relationship. Mm -hmm. And, and so I've always framed that as a goal for my kids to learn to learn to be friends and to recognize that when you want to fight, you got to work through it in a way that you'll want to with a friend, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think obviously when they're really little, that's a different thing. But I think once my daughter was nine, we really started framing that because the older sibling has the ability to cause a ton of disruption. Yes. If they don't feel like uh, letting certain things go that a younger sibling is not old enough to know not to do quite yet. Yeah, no, I agree. And let me say this too, which is interesting, is that I have heard from a lot of families during this pandemic pandemic that they have been delightfully surprised at how well the siblings are getting along. So I think we always have to make sure that we're we're recognizing that it's possible that I had a lot of families who thought, oh my God, this is going to go terribly. And I think they did just what you're saying is they realized that they had each other during this and that there there was a real benefit to them being able to play together, to be to be able to entertain each other. So I think that's happening too. 
But I think you're right, is being able to talk to kids and say, this is about being kind and respectful. And again, you don't do it in the middle of the conflict. And you recognize the conflict is normal. It's going to happen. And it is not your job to jump in and fix it and stop it in the moment. But you can have those discussions about kindness and patience and tolerance in a very consistent way. It's just sort of what you do as a family. The only time we really intervene quickly is when things get physical because there's such an age difference with our kids. Right. The physical takes a different, and I know you have a different take on that. Yeah. The, so the physical, you're going to, as soon as, as soon as you see somebody getting physically hurt, you want to step in for a few, for a few reasons. One is the obvious is that you want to stop somebody from getting hurt, but also you want the message. And this is what it was like in my family. And I'm sure it's like that in your family is that this is absolutely off limits. And this is why that boys will be boys language that people use really used to just frost me when my kids were little, because it was basically saying, well, we have to accept that boys will hurt each other physically and that this is the way they're going to communicate their anger, or this is the way that they're going to get control. I just have no patience for that. The one thing that I used to say to my boys, and I say this a lot, is not, you know, when I'm speaking, I, I use this example a lot, is that I would say to them, mommy and daddy don't hit each other. I don't hit daddy. Daddy doesn't hit me. Daddy doesn't hit you. I don't hit you. And so why are we going to make an exception in our family that you two get to hit each other when it is not allowed in our family? This is absolutely where I draw the line. And I would say it very clearly. I would say it I, I would say it actually when we would witness it with other kids doing that or when they would hear stories about that, because I can honestly say that my kids, I started this when they were very little and they weren't physical with each other in that way very often. Um, but it can happen, which, which says a lot because there are two boys and they're only two years apart. Yeah. And so a vast majority of families have boys who are, if left unattended, mm-hmm. will develop a way to physically yeah. express their anger instead of other ways. Yeah. And again, it's if it happens, it happens. It's not an unusual thing to happen. And so if you have kids that pinch or pull hair or kick or pound on each other, that's going to happen. It's really just remembering that every oppor- every every time that happens it's an opportunity to really be very clear about what your family values are and that there is no room for that it is really okay for you to say that you have zero tolerance for this in your family and to be very clear about it from the time that they're young you know little toddlers hit and smack and bite and all that kind of stuff but once they get to an age which can be 3 4 5 certainly by five and six, zero tolerance for physical harm to each other, period. Doesn't the conversation with them have to combine though, because you have to acknowledge their anger. Yeah. So it's a conversation about feelings and anger. That's right. You're you're feeling very angry right now, which is why you did that. That's right. That is off limits. Right. We're going to talk about your anger and I see that you're angry. Right. And so you validate their anger and then say, there are so many other ways that you can, with permission and with our family values, express that anger. Right. Just like I was saying before, is that you take the point of view of both of them and you validate it and you say, I absolutely understand why you felt that way. And if I were in your position, I might have wanted to do the same thing. I might have wanted to, I, I, I probably would have had the same feelings. So you're validating the feeling. 
And so you're not saying, oh, you shouldn't be angry at your brother. I mean, one of the things we say, like, he's your brother. You should love him, not be angry at him. Well, you know, you can do both. You can love him and be pissed off at him because he's annoying. So being able, yeah, saying, I understand you feel that way. And then I always use metaphors and analogies, right? And so I might say, you know, when we were driving in the car the other day, and remember that person cut me off and I yelled and said, hey, you know, whatever I said, hey, stupid head, why'd you cut me off? I probably didn't say stupid head, actually. You didn't say stupid head, but that's okay. Yeah, right. But, you know, say, you know, hey, and I say, now, if I were, if I were really mad at him, when we got up to the red light, did I smash my car into his car? Did I, did I see if I could put a big dent in his bumper? No, I did not. We could all understand that I felt that way because that was really bad driving by that person. But then I'm not going to smash my car into his. And so you can use examples of that. You can use things that help them see the differentiation between I have this feeling and I might respond versus getting physical. Really, really helpful for kids to hear that and for you to really give them that consistent message. Zero tolerance. It's going to happen. Don't freak out when they fight. Don't freak out when they hurt each other. Again, it's all about skill building. What are the skills that you want your children to develop? Sibling relationships are places where we develop a lot of our interpersonal skills. So let them, let them work three, through things and you be there to coach. You be there to step in when necessary, but give them, give them a little room to figure it out. Kids bickering is a normal thing that happens and it, and it used to happen out of parents' earshot all the time. And now they're in the house, so you're hearing it. But but teach them teach them skills. Can I tell you? Last night, my kids actually had a little kerfuffle, yeah. and they haven't really had one lately. Yeah. My younger son said something so funny. They got very upset, and he's older now, so he knew to separate. Mm-hmm. He knew, like, I'm angry at you. I'm going in another oh, room. Oh, good. And then he, you know, that well, that he just knew to go into another room, and and so I said, what, are you okay? And he said, I'm really angry. And I said, yeah, that sounds frustrating. And then he said, my throat hurts. And I was like, oh no, I hope he's not getting sick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I was like, well, let's have a nice glass of water. And then later I said, how does your throat feel now? And he said, it's fine. He said, sometimes when I'm angry, my throat burns. Uh, yeah. And I said, you know, that means that you have angry words you need to get out. And you don't have to yell them. Just even acknowledging your anger conversationally and sharing that you're angry is what your body's asking you to do. Yeah. It reminds me when my kids were at the sweetest little Montessori school that they went to. And whenever anybody had any kind of emotional or physical distress, the immediate solution was one of the other little cute muffins would go and get a little cup of water. It was the cure-all. Yes. Yeah. That was at my daughter's Montessori yeah, school too. Yeah. Yes. Just a little just cup a of little, water. Like a little Dixie cup of water. It was so, yeah. And it was just this like little empathic thing that they all learned. And then they would almost sort of race to be the one who was going to get the cup of water. But it didn't matter if you like hurt your feelings or if you fell on your knees or if you wet your pants, right? A little Dixie cup of water was the magic elixir of the Montessori school. I'm going to go to Amazon right now and order the biggest painter of little Dixie cups <laughs> so that my kids can bring those to me all day long. <laughs> 
Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath, and on the app, it lets you know if you are burning fat or carbs, and it gives you a tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. So how Lumen works is that you breathe into the Lumen device first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fat or carbs. And then Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals, so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time. And Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. I love the extra data that I'm getting about my health right now. Because for many women of my age, as we are going through a long chapter of hormone changes, Lumen's helping me use my body's data to make the best choices. So your metabolism is your body's engine. It's how your body turns the food you eat into the fuel that keeps you going. And because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does, optimal metabolic health translates to a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, and better sleep, which is key. So Lumen gives you recommendations to improve your metabolic health. So what is metabolic flexibility and why should you care? Well, the key to metabolic health is something called metabolic flexibility. We love flexibility at Fluster Clucks, and that's where Lumen really shines. It refers to your body's ability to efficiently switch between using different fuel sources like carbs and fats, and there are preferred times to use each, and how well you can switch places you on the metabolic flexibility spectrum. So after getting to know you through your breath, Lumen gives you a metabolic flex score that you can track and improve upon. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fluster to get $100 off Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N-D-O-T-M-E. And use Fluster at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance, so literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C 
ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. Another question that we have, as a working mom with two children under five, I've noticed a significant change in my own frustration, tolerance, and increased exhaustion and anger during the quarantine. Aside from taking a walk with the stroller, time alone, or spending time on on myself, it's just non-existent, and neither child sleeps through the night consistently. What strategies can I employ at home to be less emotionally reactive? Okay, so I'm sure there are so many moms who can relate to this because the disruption in our routine and being a working mom with two little kids and going through all of this is so challenging. So the first thing that jumped out at me is that you feel exhausted, mom, and that neither of your kids are sleeping through the night consistently. So there aren't a lot of details that you provided about what the sleeping patterns or arrangements are like. But the first piece of advice I would give you is to work on the sleep issue. This is a good time to do it. It's the summertime. And if you look, we did a whole episode on sleep, actually. I believe it was episode seven. So go back and, and listen to that. There's some really concrete strategies that I use with with young kids to interrupt or to to get a better sleep pattern. So that's going to give you better sleep. One of the things, if you're not sleeping well, and if your kids aren't sleeping well, that just automatically means that your emotional reserves are going to be kind of crappy and that you're going to be more reactive. You're going to be more irritable and at times volatile. So go after that sleep issue, listen to episode seven and see if you can give yourself some skills there and your kids too. The other thing I I wonder is if you're going through the day and you said other than sort of going for a walk with a stroller, which means you do have a very little one if you've got somebody in a stroller, I would work in some more mini rewards or breaks during the day. And by mini rewards, that can just mean three minutes. That can mean five minutes. It can mean one minute. But being able to give yourself a pattern of stopping and breaking, even if that means that you sit and take 10 easy breaths or five easy breaths, if you play a song that you really love. Music we know has great impact on our emotional state. I was having a lousy day a while ago during the beginning of all of this. I was feeling very tearful. I went for a walk. I blasted some songs in my earphones and I just sang and immediately felt better. So think about giving yourselves mini breaks. The other thing, and I don't know if you're doing this, but I certainly did it when my kids were little, is because you want time to yourself and I bet, Robin, you've done this too. We've all done this. You stay up really late after the kids are finally asleep because that's the only time you have to yourself and you crave that time. But then you're depriving yourself of sleep and the whole house isn't sleeping well. And you're, as I said, you're going to be depleted and irritable and you get that, that vicious cycle going. So if you are, if you are falling into that trap of staying up later than you should, pay attention to that. You're depriving yourself of one of the very important nutrients that you need in order to parent. The other thing I would pay attention to is the kind of adult contact you're having. So if you're working full time, you've got these two little kids, Are you making time to have conversations with friends? Are you seeing people outside of your work routine or outside of your immediate family? Because that's enormously important for us as we're going through this. It's enormously important as moms of young kids anyway. We know that. So I just wonder if that might be something that you need to make a conscious effort to add into your life. So I think having contact with with your friends is so important. It's important when we're not in a pandemic, 
We know that being able to see people outside of your work environment, outside of your immediate family, talking to your friends is so, so important. I think you need to make a conscious effort to examine and and perhaps add more adult contact than you're having because that's going to replenish you and allow you to, it's sort of one of the really important things that you need in order to be able to parent. You're not going to be perfect as a parent. It's really okay for you to have some messiness in there, but having adult contact is really going to be helpful to you. I think that when we both, you know, we both had kids under five at some point. And I think that taking the breaks during the day, it's funny because you're talking about creating self-care, you know, with like a lot of activity. But when you're really sleep deprived and you've got the little ones, sometimes you don't, you you just don't feel like you have the energy to do that. So mm-hmm. I recall in those times, taking those moments, especially like if you're working and you're on your computer all day and then you get off around that five to six to 7 PM is really tough because then it's like, well, you got to do dinner now Mm -hmm. and, and you're exhausted. I think that there are these ways that a family can sort of slow down and lie down on the floor and ask your kids to lie down next to you and play some sort of, you know, say kids were going to do home spa. And the idea is to just slow down and snuggle and and play some kind of relaxing music for like five to 10 minutes. I remember doing this and then like falling asleep, right? And then, until they nudge you and wake you up. And then eventually we would play that game and then we would like rub scented lotions on our own legs or something. But as I guess a therapist would say, playification on <laughs> relaxation, <laughs> you know, merge the two. You know, those tingly head massagers that- yes are in the shape of a tulip. Yes, so a, a, a three-year-old can do that to their yes. mom's head, you yes. know, um, and you have to show them like, no, 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 don't go up and down like a toilet plunger. You yes. know, go. you can work that in and make the play self-indulgent for the mom to get the break that she needs. And yes. she's entitled to that. The other thing I would just say too, when we've had bad periods of sleep is to check in on diet. Mm-hmm. Think about sugar and caffeine. Make sure the mom is not having another cup of coffee uh, later in the day and to make sure that sugar isn't given late at night and definitely no, ch- it's the summertime. Chocolate ice cream would keep my kids awake for all nighters. We had this joke in the summer, if it's, if it's after 2 p.m., no chocolate ice cream. Yep. Those are great suggestions. And it is that vicious cycle with caffeine and you're trying to keep yourself awake. And so you stimulate yourself and then you can't fall asleep. And yeah, so it really is, I think, back to the basics. But I love that idea of having a relaxing time during those, yeah, those, oh, those, those late afternoon hours or those right after you finish work hours. I just want to say to that mom, I, and so a lot of us, because my kids are older now, I never thought I would get back to that sense of normal sleep or rest because I was in a sleep deprivation state for about five and a half years. And it does go away eventually, but it's, it's brutal when you're in it. I remember that too. I remember realizing when my kids got older, my eyes always burned because I wear contacts too. And I thought, oh my gosh, my eyes aren't burning. What is this? Yeah, it does get better. We yeah. should just talk about this in general because this is affecting a lot of us. Is um, It's so true. So moms typically do stay up late to mm-hmm. just have to feed that introverted energy of time alone. That's very challenging right now. It I is. can tell, you know, I, I crave a few hours in our house alone right now. And I haven't had any since, I don't know, February. 
I don't know what people are doing, but if, if listeners are having successful ideas of still incorporating alone time that is not replacing sleep time, uh, send us an email or uh, let us know in the podcast Facebook group. Lynn, thank you so much for answering these listener questions. And it's a reminder to join our Facebook group where you can submit your own questions to Lynn for a future episode. And I also want to remind listeners that we're super excited. We're relaunching this podcast for a second season in a new name that we will be releasing very soon. So be looking for that. It will not be a mom's retreat. Follow our social media. That's where you'll learn about the new name first. So join that Facebook group. Yes, we're very excited. We've been plotting and planning. Talk to you soon, Robin. Bye, everybody. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 